North Central University. Come on, did anybody come to lift up the name of Jesus in this place? Can we just take another 10 seconds to lift up the name of King Jesus? Come on, let's take 10 seconds and lift up the loudest roar in this place that you can muster up in your spirit. Come on, I know we can do better than that. Come on, we're talking about the king above all kings. There we go. There we go. You may take your seat. Yes, I love your worship. Man, that was good. Was that an original song? I never heard that song before. That was really good. I love it. You guys are excited to be here? Yes, the energy in this place is amazing. Well, I am super honored to be here. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. Like my husband said, we are, we represent CMN, but we planted a church about five years ago. And let me tell you, it has been incredible. The journey has been incredible, but it has not come without roadblocks. How many of y'all know that life is a little bit of up and down roller coasters? I want to come today to share a little bit of my story and my heart. But I want to tell you that, you know, we planted this church. It's life-giving. It's amazing. We're from Richmond, Virginia. I have two beautiful girls, Jalen and Jada, who are back home that started this journey with us. But I am originally from Chicago, Illinois. Anybody from Chicago? All right. Many places I go, not many people are from Chicago, so I love that. I'm from Chicago, Illinois, but I grew up in a lot of dysfunction. A lot of dysfunction. I grew up in an environment that was incredibly dysfunctional, incredibly gang violence was all around me, a lot of poverty, a lot of gang violence, and a lot of abuse. From the age of five until I was 15 years old, I was abused, and I grew up with my family dealing with a lot of drug addiction. And the environment that I grew up in, you know, many kids dream of going to Disney World. Many kids dream of maybe being a doctor. Like you, you come to college and you want to do things great with your life. And for me, I grew up just wanting to make it out. When I was 15 years old, you know, the, the idea of me living outside of my home was the biggest dream for me. I wanted to get away from what I was dealing with in my home. When I was 10 years old, I remember moving away from the environment that we were in, and we moved to a new location, and there was this big golf ball church directly across from our new home. And when I was growing up, I didn't go to church. My family wasn't Christian, so nobody was telling me about Jesus. But there was this church across the street from our home, and I remember these pastors coming with their bright yellow shirts into the middle of the ghetto, and they would pick up trash from our yard. And they would just come and pick up trash. You know they wanted to be seen if they came to the middle of the ghetto with bright yellow shirts on. Yeah. So they would pick up trash. And kids that live in the hood, we constantly threw trash on the ground. And so they come every Saturday and they pick up trash. And because of the trauma that I was experiencing every single day, I was apprehensive to talk to people that I didn't know. But there was this one pastor, this local pastor, that I just wanted to engage with. And so I asked him, hey, what are you doing? And I remember talking to him, and he told me they were just coming in the neighborhood. They wanted to help out, and they were telling people about Jesus. And so he handed me this flyer, and he said, hey, come to this after-school program. And I remember at this local church, in the hallway of the church, I gave my heart to Jesus at 10 years old. And it changed the trajectory of my life. Let me tell you, the power of that church's yes changed my life and the life of my family. Now, that didn't mean that I didn't go through the things that I was going through, because I'll tell you that I still went through the trauma at home. But it gave me a different perspective and a different hope that I wouldn't have had had a local church hadn't said yes. Your yes matters. You're coming to college right now, and you're thinking, okay, I want to do this with my life. 
You've come with an idea of what you want to do. Maybe you want to plant a church. Maybe you want to be a doctor. You want to be a nurse. You want to be a teacher. Whatever you want to be, let me just tell you that your yes matters. Ten-year-old Brittany needed somebody to introduce me to Jesus because I remember thinking that my dysfunction was never going to get me out of my situation. I never would have dreamed to be on this stage, but I'm standing here as a result of somebody's yes. I'm standing on this stage as somebody said yes to Jesus so they can present the gospel to me so that I can stand and present something else to you. Man, what your yes can do. Let me tell you, I remember being in the midst of my journey, and then we started to plant this church and thinking, how could God use my story to minister to somebody else because I was wrapped in what I was dealing with? You know, when you walk through trauma, you walk through issues, there's something innately in you that you got to deal and you got to heal, right? There's something in you that you got to heal in order for you to help somebody else. And I didn't recognize that I needed to allow somebody to help walk me through so that I can help the people in our church walk through. So I'm going to walk you through this passage of scripture that really, really ministered to me because what I realized that though I was walking through a valley, the valley was not my home. Though you may walk through a valley, the valley is not your home. So follow me with Mark 2, verse 1 through 5. We're going to read that for a few minutes, and we're going to read verse 11 and 12. If you have your Bible, your friend's Bible, just lean over and read their Bible. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 11, it says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked in, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let me tell you something, students. We are all called to be mat carriers. And I think the tension we all believe is that we can just kind of do life alone. No matter what position you play, no matter what leadership role you are called to be, no matter what job you want to do, sometimes we think when we get to that place and we get to the role we want to be, we just got to do it by ourselves. Oh, I want to be a pastor. I got to be above reproach. I got to live at this place and nobody can touch me and I'm just going to get it and I'm going to go. And I realized quickly that walking through my own journey, I had to allow somebody to carry a corner of my mat. So I'm thinking of this man in this story and I imagine him laying on this mat and people are walking past him every single day. And I'm imagining people trying to get to where Jesus is in this building, in this house, and it's completely full. There's no room for him. And I know he wants to get there because if he can get there, he can be healed. And he knows that people are on their way to get close to Jesus because they want to be healed. But there's no room through the door. There's no room to get this man through the window. And in order for him to get to Jesus, he needed somebody to grab a corner of his mat. But the thing is, is that he had to be vulnerable enough to let them grab a corner of his mat. One of the things that I think I've had to realize in my own journey with dealing with my own trauma and my own issues is that I have to be vulnerable enough to allow someone to pick up a corner of my mat. Because if I allow myself to be vulnerable, I can experience the freedom of God. Vulnerability leads towards freedom. 
Our vulnerability leads towards freedom. This man's vulnerability in allowing somebody to grab a corner of his mat led towards his freedom. He was exposed. His mat represented his pain on display for everyone to see. They saw his pain. He couldn't get up. He couldn't do anything by himself. His vulnerability led towards his freedom because he allowed them to grab a corner of his mat. And not only did his vulnerability lead towards freedom, but his vulnerability led towards these men seeing Jesus himself. They were able to get there, but they had to get real, real, real creative. They led this man to Jesus because of his vulnerability. And, you know, the difference is, is that sometimes we think vulnerability and transparency is the same thing. Transparency is you being able to see a little bit. Vulnerability is you being close enough to touch. So you can see me. Transparency, hey, see my story. Vulnerability is getting close enough to be close to me and knowing me. And vulnerability doesn't mean that everybody gets that intimate. It's people that you can trust and that you can love. That's not exposing it to the whole world. Okay, sometimes we think it means grabbing a mic and telling everybody everything. It's not that. Transparency and vulnerability is very different. However, his vulnerability led to his freedom because he allowed him to get close enough to grab a corner of his mat and take him to King Jesus. Not just talking about it. Not just saying, oh, I see it. Oh, I see you, sir. Oh, he'll get to you next time. Jesus will get to you next time. He'll probably walk past next time. No, I want to get close enough to you where I can grab you and lead you to him because if I can lead you to him, you can be free. Not only did the vulnerability of this man lead to his freedom, but his desperation led to his healing. You got to get real, real desperate if you want to be healed. Now think about the desperation of his friends. I got a new house, okay? We've lived in our house for about two years, right? There is absolutely no way I am allowing anybody to dig a hole in my brand new roof to be healed. However, the desperation of this man's friends, they said, you know what, we can't get you through the door. We can't get you through the window. We're going to just get a hole. And I'm thinking they probably didn't have a drill. Barehanded, okay? We're, we're just going to do what we have to do. We got to get creative. We got to get desperate. But we're going to get you over there to Jesus to get healed. Because if we can get you near, we can get you healed. Desperation leads towards healing. He was vulnerable. And he was desperate. And he got healed. This man had to be incredibly desperate. I can't get up by myself. I can't do it alone. But I got to get super desperate so that I can get near Jesus. And the last thing I believe that this man had to do was believe that his opposition led toward an opportunity. Now, what was the opposition? The opposition is the mat. Him laying on the mat. The opposition is there's no room in this house. The opposition is that they've realized that, hey, I can't get this man through a door, so I got to get him through the roof. How many of you in the room realize that you have opposition in your life? And sometimes our opposition can be the very dysfunction that will not get us to the purpose of God in our life. I've experienced that on my own. The trauma that I experienced in my life, I convinced myself that you are not going to disqualify me. I'm going to disqualify myself before anybody else can. Opposition. The greatest opposition that I face in my life was when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder right before we planted our church. Opposition. The greatest opposition, the same feeling you're feeling right now, the stillness in the room, is what I felt when I sat in that doctor's office. And he looked at me, and he said, Brittany, you have bipolar disorder. I could not muster up 
what that was supposed to mean for me. A pastor? How, who would follow me? I never heard a pastor stand on a stage and talk about mental illness. As a matter of fact, the last time I heard somebody talk about it, it was about Law & Order SVU. I didn't really hear people talk about bipolar disorder outside of TV shows. You know what I'm talking about? I heard people talk about depression. I heard people talk about anxiety. But I never specifically heard people talk about bipolar disorder. What does that mean for me, a pastor? Opposition. How did I make it through this? How am I supposed to move through the opposition of mental illness as a pastor, someone that's supposed to stand on stages and lead people? God, how could you use somebody like me? I remember the moment where the doctor stood and told me that, and, and there's no way I was going to believe him at first, so it took a while. You know, I went to therapists, and I went to talked to my doctors, and it took them a good year before I believed that that was going to be true for my life. What I realized is that I was going through this pattern. I remember going four days without sleeping. I cleaned everything in my house. I'll tell you that my kids were probably happy about that. They didn't have any chores to do. I mean, I washed every dish and cleaned every piece of laundry in our house. I did everything possible, but what goes up comes down. And I spent the month in heavy depression that I couldn't get out of. Now, I'm standing on stages every week at our church, and I'm leading people in worship, and I'm wrestling with my mind. And I can't seem to figure out how God can use somebody like me, and I can't get out of this. God, how could you use me? Opposition. And what I had to believe for myself is that the opposition of mental illness could either destroy me or God could use it to bring glory to his name. And I don't know about you, but whatever position that God has called you to, wherever you are in your journey in school, maybe you wanna be a doctor, you wanna be a pastor, you're thinking about church planting, you're thinking about doing something, whatever you've come here for, you probably have had a moment in your life where you've said, my family, my dysfunction, my illnesses, I've, di I've been diagnosed, I've struggled with this, whether you're you've lived this life for a long time or you're just beginning, just know that your dysfunction does not have to cancel you. That God has a purpose and a plan for your story even in the midst of what you're walking through. And here's the amazing thing. I could tell you this from a standpoint of somebody that's through it. Because a lot of times we get to that point where we're like, hey, this is the testimony. We're through it, I made it through it. But I'm telling you from somebody that's in the midst of it. I'm gonna walk off the stage in a little bit and I still have bipolar disorder. But the reality is, is that it doesn't have me because God has the control. So really, the amazing part of that is that you get to win because God really does have control. You know, I, I, I'm not saying this from a person that has walked through it and said, I'm done. I'm over it. Now I'm in the midst of it. I'm in the midst of it. So the, the opportunity is that God gets glory even in this. So there's a story in scripture about these three Hebrew boys, right? You guys know the story because you probably saw it on VeggieTales when you were little. Um, yeah, right? King Nebi, right? Okay, so <laughs> I got kids. It is what it is. So 
So the story about these three Hebrew boys, you know, they're getting ready to go on the fire. They're looking at their demise right in front of their faces. They're looking at it. They're about to be thrown in this fire because they won't bow. And they're like, yo, we're about to get thrown in this fire. We're about to, we're about to go. But they're saying, hey, we're not going to bow. I'm not going to bow. I know you want me to go. I know you want me to bow, but we're not going to bow. There's this amazing point in scripture. They're saying, hey, we know that God can rescue us. We know that our God can rescue us. And then they say, but even if he does not. Mm. That's real good because I know for myself, I'm like, God, please, for real, I need you to do it for me, for real. I believe that God can heal me. 100%. Every fiber of my being believes that God can heal me. We sing about it. I believe that you're my healer. He's a way maker. We believe that he can do it. But even if he does not, will you still worship? The opposition is that the enemy wants you to believe that your dysfunction is your demise. The opportunity is that, God, I'm going to worship you even if you do not do anything else for me. I'm going to still serve your kingdom even if you do nothing else for me. That's the spirit, what we need to have every single day. So these three Hebrew boys are like, hey, but even if you do not, we're still going to worship God. And then it goes on that God does show up. He always does because he's faithful, right? He's always going to show up. So the opposition leads to an opportunity, always. So what does that look like for your story? Who's picking up a corner of your mat? Are you walking through this series and season of your life alone? Or are you allowing somebody in this season to pick up a corner of your mat? I remember walking through a season of my life where I didn't allow somebody to pick up a corner of my mat because I was afraid of what other people might think of me. Oh, if Hastor were bipolar? No way, we're not gonna let her lead. There's no way until I start realizing that nobody's doing what I'm doing. So I had to get vulnerable and just be honest about my story. And maybe they'll say something about it. And maybe they're going to get a little uncomfortable. And maybe people won't be too keen about me standing up and saying that I have bipolar. So the very first place that I stood on a stage and said I have bipolar disorder was my own church. Brand new church. December. We launched our church September 17th. December. I stood in front of our brand new church and said, hey, I want to lead you well. And the best way that I can do that is just to tell you that this is my journey. And God is still working on my heart. And God is going to heal me. I believe it. But if he doesn't, I'm just going to serve him. But I want to model to you what it looks like to walk healthy in this journey. You know what you can do for somebody? It's just be honest. Be who you are. Be who God's called you to be. In this season of your life, the best thing you can do is to be who God's called you to be. God's calling you to lead. God's calling you to be an influence. God's calling you to purpose. What does that look like for you? But in the midst of that, allow someone that you love and trust to grab a corner of your mat. Because doing life alone won't lead you to the place of purpose that you want to be in. It will absolutely not lead you to the place you want to be in. So I charge you today. Who are you allowing to lead and hold a corner of your mat? Don't limit your yes to God, to your opposition. Don't limit your yes to God, to your opposition. Allow somebody to grab a corner of your mat. I'll leave with this. Before we, uh, when we 
we're leading our church and I'm, I'm in the midst of our journey and I'm thinking, hey, you know, I'm healed and God is doing so much in our life. I'd walk through the process of, of healing from my trauma and, you know, I'm feeling good and I'm going to therapy and I'm going to my psychiatrist and I'm doing all of the things and all of the rhythms in my life that I thought was necessary for a healthy life. And I try to practice healthy things when I'm well so that when I'm not well, I'm already in a good rhythm. You know, so when I'm not well, I'm like, okay, it's almost robotic. I'm going to counseling. I'm going all, doing all the necessary things. And then I realized that there are some things in me that really weren't completely healed. And so when you're dealing with trauma, it's some things that you easily stuff down, right? Many of you know, like it's easy for us to just kind of push it down. Some things from my childhood that I just really did not completely deal with. And it, what you do not heal will spill. So oftentimes we just don't heal everything completely. We just glass over it like, okay, it's fine. I feel good. Everything feels good. And I did that because I was going through the motions a lot. You know, I start focusing heavily on my bipolar because that was in the front lines of my life that five-year-old Brittany suffered a little bit and I didn't heal fully. And so all of those things started to spill over. And I tried to figure out what can I do to control the emotions that I was experiencing before it became something that I tried to control and that became the food that I put in my body. And I remember sitting on this lady's couch in 2019, this black couch, and I sat down and she looked at me and she said, Brittany, you have an eating disorder. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because I I felt in my soul I could not stand in front of my church again and tell them one more thing. I was so ashamed, I was so broken. It broke my heart that I was wrestling with yet another thing that I felt like, how can I deal with this? Yet it was one more opportunity for God to show up and bring healing to my life. And it was also a reminder that I needed to heal completely and not try to control the pattern and the process of how God healed me. So another opportunity for God to heal completely the areas of my life that I just tried to stuff down and push away and pretend like, oh, man, okay, I got friends. I got people showing up all around me. And really, the people that I allowed to pick up my mat, I only told them every little detail, but not all the details. So when I say be vulnerable, that means exposing it all, not just a little bit of it. And so I'm sitting in this lady's office, and she tells me I have an eating disorder, and she says, Brittany, I'm going to help you. I'm going to walk this with you. So she gave me this plan, and I'm following the plan for a good month. And I sat back in her office, and she said, this is not enough. This is not working. And I thought I was doing all the things, but I really was trying to control a little bit of it. And she said, you need further help. And so I knew in my heart that I needed to do something to help myself to end this and cut this. And so I packed all my things. And for 30 days, I left my husband. I left my kids. I left our church, and I went to a treatment facility to get help with an eating disorder, and that radically changed me. So I'm standing here today as somebody that not is just telling you what to do, but I've done the hard things. I'm telling you the things that I've actually done so that you know that it's possible to get help, to get healed, to be whole. So when you go out into this broken world, that you are whole, that you are healed, and so that you can do the hard things yourself. Because what you don't heal will spill, and it will spill in other ways. It might show up in ways that you don't even think are the ways that you assume is from your past, but it will. So part of that was me having to tell my husband, me tell my mentors, and tell the people around me, the people that I allowed to pick up a corner of my mat and me say, hey, 
man, something is going on on the inside of me and I need to expose it so that I can be whole. See, when you allow people to pick up a corner of your mat, they can call out the things in you that you may not be able to see. That's what you give them access to. So when you say vulnerability leads to freedom, you're allowing those people that you're vulnerable with to lead you to that space. I was blinded by my own issues. So the places in my heart where I thought were healed, they're able to call out and say, Brittany, it's not there yet. Oppositions leads to opportunity, and the opportunity is I'm able to give God glory even more because of the pain that I've experienced. He gets glory through my life. You don't just know more about me, but you know the goodness of Jesus and what he can do with a broken mess. He brings healing. So I don't know what your story looks like. I don't know what God's going to do with your life and what your journey is going to look like. But what I do know is that every single person in this room can allow somebody to pick up a corner of their mat so that people out there know the goodness of Jesus. Is that whatever opposition that you may be facing, there is purpose in your opposition. No matter what you've experienced, no matter what your childhood has looked like, no matter what your story may look like even today, God can do something really, really good through your story. Amen? And he will if you allow him to. Allow somebody to pick up a corner of your mat so that God can do something great through it. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? I just want to pray for you. God, I thank you for every single student represented in this room. God, I thank you for what you're doing in every heart. And God, every single purpose that you've created in every heart in this room, Lord, I pray that you would show up. God, I pray that you do something super special in every single person. And God, that you would move in every heart, God. And I pray for healing in this room, God. I pray for every heart, God, that's been hanging on to something from their past. God, I pray that you bring healing in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray that every person in this room will allow somebody to pick up a corner of their mat so that they may find freedom, that they may find healing. And there's an opportunity created in purpose in Jesus' name. Amen.